You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We are learning more tonight about a multi vehicle crash in Coquitlam involving a runaway dump truck. Two people lost their lives, including the truck's operator, identified by family and friends as 30 year old Bobby Vanderhoof. His sister spoke to our Aaron MacArthur about the shocking loss, just as the family had so much to celebrate. The pictures speak for themselves. It seems like Bobby Vanderhoof always had a smile on his face. And who could blame him? Newly married, about to become a father. According to his friends and family, he died Tuesday in a freak workplace accident. My brother was a hard worker, a good man, great friend. Um, all in all, just a good uncle, a good brother. That's who he was. Vanderhoof was working at the construction site on the Riverview lands in Coquitlam. Police say he was the operator of a dump truck that somehow rolled down the hill into oncoming traffic on the Lougheed Highway. Police now with the coroner's service and WorkSafe BC trying to piece together exactly what happened. We'll be looking at um, if there was any criminal aspect. At this point, it's obviously too early to speculate. And um, WorkSafe will be looking at anything to do with the workplace itself. The truck hit two cars on the highway. A woman in her 60s died likely in the Volkswagen pinned under the truck's front end. Witnesses say there was no one in the cab when it crossed the highway. Some think the driver died trying to stop the truck rolling into traffic. The truck rolling down and I ran the guy over with the gate and then we go off. As I see there's no one in the truck, then I see the guy laying on the ground and then it just crashed. I stopped my car, I was like, holy crap. As the messages of condolence pour in on Bobby's Facebook page, his sister is heartbroken, his family devastated. There is no words to explain it. You don't know what to say when you lose somebody like that. It's hard. Our whole family's devastated, right? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A warning from police in Surrey after a young student was grabbed on her way to school this morning. Paul Johnson is in South Surrey where this happened, and Paul... Thankfully, the student was able to get away. Yeah, she got away, Chris, and she wasn't physically hurt, but she's pretty shaken up, as you can imagine. This happened about 10 minutes before 8 this morning in this park area in South Surrey near Earl Marriott Secondary. She was on her way to school. The man evidently surprised her and grabbed her. She was able to break free and run away, though. By the time she got to school and reported the incident, and by the time police got here, he'd already gotten away. As you can imagine, this has really upset this community in the first week back to school. Um, I walk that trail every morning. Uh, so now I've decided to go around after hearing about that because that scared me. It's just, it's just so close to the school. It kind of makes me feel worried about like going back there. And I come here daily and... Uh... I've always enjoyed it and found lots of really nice people walking around here. So I'm really shocked what happened here. So Surrey RCMP are putting out this description of the suspect. He is a Caucasian male in his 30s, 5 feet 9 to 5 feet 10 inches tall with a medium build, wearing a light green T-shirt, dirty blue jeans and work boots. And in the meantime, until they can pick this guy up, police 
are advising students to not take forested paths on their way to school, to walk with friends and to let people know when they're leaving and when they arrive. Not the kind of situation you want to face on your first week back, so the priority is going to be identifying this guy, getting him off the streets, Chris. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Paul, in South Surrey. Now, another warning, this one from Abbotsford Police about the release of a sex offender. 61-year-old Donald William Snow has a long criminal history of sexual offenses targeting children as young as three years old. He's been released under a number of court-ordered conditions, including not to be in public parks, swimming pools, or on public transit. The Massey Bridge Project is on hold pending the results of an independent review. That word today from the provincial government. Our Keith Baldry joins us with more on this story. Keith, does this mean the project is officially dead? Yeah, for all intents and purposes, it is, Sophie. Uh, the ten, at least in the version that is currently on the drawing board. That's that 10-lane bridge, proposed bridge, uh, to replace the Massey Tunnel. So the project, as envisioned by the previous government, is now off the table. The procurement uh, process has been cancelled by the new NDP government. The whole issue now being sent out to review. They'll hire an external consultant, likely an engineer, to come back with a no- number of options, which could be another type of bridge, or it could be simply twinning the existing tunnel, replacing the existing tunnel. Uh, the big reason Claire Trevino, the transportation minister, is killing this is the mayors don't want it in Metro Vancouver. It's not on their priority list. We caught up with one of the biggest opponents of it, and that's uh, Richmond Mayor Malcolm Brody. We have, since the day that the bridge was announced in 2012 or 2013, we have been expressing concerns about the effect of this bridge, not only on the city of Richmond, but on the region. And we're very gratified to finally learn that there is a group there in government that is listening to us. So the mayor is obviously opposed to this project, but I can tell you the motorists out there seem to have a different view of this as a priority. Take a look at this. This is a, a poll released today by, the, uh, by Angus Reid on behalf of the road workers, uh, road builders, and it shows overwhelming support for the bridge, as was envisioned by the previous government, of a 10-lane bridge uh, to replace the Massey Tunnel. 65% in favor, just 35% want to see further options explored. This review will uh, culminate next spring. We should have an answer then, folks, on whether or not we're we're going to have a bridge or simply another tunnel. All right, we'll find out then. Thanks, Keith. Right. And to another bridge that's picked up in popularity since the toll was dropped a few days ago, drivers on the Portman say they've seen a noticeable increase in traffic on the span, especially big trucks. John Waugh has a closer look at the traffic flow and the impact it's having on surrounding communities. You can see the volume here. This is what a free ride looks like. Cars and trucks alike flocking to a now toll-free Portman Bridge. But now it's not there anymore. I mean, I'm going to take that option first. If I need to use that bridge, I'm not going to hesitate. And I think most people are using it too. One less truck for new Westminster residents to worry about. It's just a total gong show going through here. Forced to live with a front-row view of gridlock for the past five years. The trucks, you know, you hear them going, and they slow down and wait and carry on and then all the cars wearing the blaring their loud music others became hostages of their own homes because of toll avoiders opting for the patello bridge generally i wouldn't even think about taking my vehicle out after two o'clock wouldn't happen what a difference a 132 million dollar decision can make 
Scrapping tolls on the Portman and Golden Ears, allowing traffic to move freely around the aging Patello. That definitely uh, reinforces what the city of New Westminster has been saying for a long time, is that the previous tolling system uh, was kind of done haphazard. Experts say it will take time to see if the relief on the Patello and Alex Fraser bridges will last, or if no tolls will just add more traffic to the entire system. To help with the management uh, for, for traffic congestion across the region, uh, we do need to be having a conversation about how do we create a fair and equitable way to, to look at mobility pricing. In the short term, a benefit for people behind the wheel and those no longer living by a traffic backlog. And all us around here have all been feeling a lot better by this. Enjoying the immediate upside of taking down the tolls. Frustration tonight over a decision by TransLink to take away a bus stop on the downtown east side. That stop at Main and Hastings is now being shut down. The company says it did so for safety reasons. But those who live and work in the area say no stop for nearly four city-long blocks leaves many with mobility issues stranded. Um, I usually catch the bus here all the time, you know, because i got a walker. Just sitting here for a long time. To me, it's just a, you know, a callous, uh, uh, uncaring for those people. Sort of a makeshift market has sprung up, and our bus operators have been concerned that they may hit one of these people, they may hit their belongings, they may have to swerve and hit another vehicle, and frankly, it just became too dangerous for our customers, other drivers, our operators, and for the people. Meantime, transit is becoming a more realistic option in the suburbs. This week, TransLink made its largest increase in service this year. Grace Key has the details. And Grace, there are a lot of new developments in the burbs. Now their service will improve. Yeah, we're just in the Rock Ridge neighborhood in Maple Ridge. Now behind me is one of the new routes that are uh, hitting this area. And of course, it's right next to a new development that is still under construction. This whole area is seeing lots of new developments. TransLink certainly increasing and uh, creating new routes for some of the fastest growing neighborhoods. Sandy Boparai is taking the new 372 bus as she heads into work in Surrey's newer Clayton Heights neighborhood. And she couldn't be happier with the change. One and a half hour, the previous one, and now I took half an hour. TransLink has added 105,000 new hours of bus service this fall. It's the single largest increase in bus service since the launch of the Mayor's Council 10-year vision. And for the first time, three suburban areas will be getting service. The Clayton Heights in Surrey the Morgan Creek area in Surrey-White Rock, and the Silver Valley neighborhood in Maple Ridge. 20,000 people in the area now live within a five-minute walk to a bus stop. We're in the midst of a very significant affordability crisis in this region. Uh, we're seeing people moving in droves to our city. Transit is a very significant component. Even more services on the way for suburban areas. By 2019, there will also be four new B-Line routes. The changes come at a time when TransLink is seeing record high ridership. We ended last year with record ridership, about a 4.5% ridership increase on TransLink. Through the first six months of this year, we're up another 5.7%. Well, something else very interesting came out of the announcement today, Grace. Later this fall, uh, passengers will get to try out those double-decker buses we're learning. 
Yeah, something that the people in Victoria have been seeing. So they're going to be just testing them out. It's going to be on the commuter routes. Those routes haven't been announced yet. And the focus is really going to be on comfort, they say, for people who are traveling those long distances. So uh, things like maybe electrical outlets, reading lights, things like that. So they are going to be having more details on that in the fall. Might be worth keeping the car parked. All right. Thanks very much, Grace. Distracted driving is still causing more fatalities on BC's road than impaired driving. And in an effort to change that, police province-wide are stepping up enforcement this month. More traps, more tickets. ICBC also launching a new TV commercial aimed at spreading awareness about distracted driving. Since last Friday, Vancouver police have handed out 77 tickets for distracted driving, including two this morning just outside Oak Ridge Mall. Well, to the surprise of many today, the Bank of Canada raised its interest rate. The hike to 1% is the second quarter point increase since July. Nitu Garcha has more on the unexpected change, what it means for Canadians, and why some experts say it's not all bad news. Mark Faber's son isn't the only thing on his shoulders. He's also a homeowner carrying the weight of a mortgage, and the Bank of Canada just increased the interest rate. We have a variable rate, so, you know, it will affect us, and so that just means we have to spend more for our mortgage. But it isn't all bad news. The rate jump to 1% is still below the historical average of 3 to 4%, and... If we get closer to higher levels of interest rates we might actually see even a reduction in the ticket price of houses, which would be good for uh, first-time buyers. The rate hike does, however, come as many are already cash-strapped. About half of Canadian employees are living paycheck to paycheck, according to the Canadian Payroll Association's latest study. And in B.C., it's the worst in the country, with nearly 60% relying on that next payday in order to get by. Now, the study also found that almost half of B.C. employees are overwhelmed with their debt load. Mortgages for the first time in our nine-year survey have surpassed credit card debt and they're at sitting at 28% of the total respondents, followed by credit card, car loans and lines of credit. For many, the numbers don't come as a surprise. I know a lot of people that are in that situation. Debt is so unmanageable for so many people. Financial planners suggest saving 10% of your pay. Others feel the government needs to step up. I don't think the blame should be on individuals. It's just so unattainable to live in a city like Victoria or Vancouver when housing costs are out of control and transit costs are out of control. How, how else is someone supposed to survive? As for Faber, he's going to focus on passing down some simple but important advice. We're going to try training this little guy to earn money first and then spend it. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Got some breaking news for you now involving an emergency response underway right now at the Squamish Chief. Jay Durant is in our newsroom with some of the details. Jay, what have you learned about what's going on there? Chris, Emergency Health Services confirms they are responding to an incident at the Chief. There are unconfirmed reports someone has fallen. It's not known if it might be a hiker or a rock climber. The hike a popular destination for both experienced and not so experienced. The problem is the challenging terrain. There are signs warning people of the danger, but those warnings aren't always observed. The rugged mountain making it very difficult for search and rescue crews. And there have been tragedies in the past. Just last summer, a 31-year-old woman died when she slipped off an edge while having lunch with her boyfriend. Now one ground ambulance and one airvac crew are on their way. Search and rescue are also involved. We'll have the latest as it becomes available. Chris. All right, check in then. Thanks very much, Jay. Florida residents are getting ready for a direct hit. Hurricane Irma is blasting across the Caribbean right now. 
with winds reaching 300 kilometers an hour and capable of catastrophic damage. We'll check in on the worst hit areas and find out who's likely to get it next in just over a minute. What would you do if you saw someone throw a cigarette butt out the window? See how this guy used it as a teachable moment coming up. And she was arrested for shoplifting, but she's in much bigger trouble now. What this suspect did after she got out of the handcuffs later on the news hour. But first. Hurricane Irma batters the island of St. Martin tonight as the first reports from the first countries hit by the storm confirm the worst fears. The prime minister of Antigua and Barbuda in the Caribbean saying the destruction in Barbuda is almost 100 percent and that the island has been left practically uninhabitable. Irma is still producing winds upwards of 300 kilometers an hour and it's still heading for Florida right now striking its first blows on Puerto Rico. This video shot earlier today in the city of Carolina a huge construction crane swinging in the wind. NBC's Morgan Radford has more from Puerto Rico. Irma roared into the Caribbean at daylight. She was relentless. Maybe the strongest hurricane to ever hit the region. Category 5. This is what 185 mile per hour winds sound like. Irma knocked out power throughout the islands. St. Martin, typically a tropical paradise. Now, cars underwater and buildings splinter. Puerto Rico is the next target. The governor warning everyone to get inside. The worst yet to come. Residents scrambling to higher and drier ground. Why have you decided to leave and go to another person's house? Uh, well, here, in fact, uh, with, the, with the winds that we're expecting, uh, I'm so close to the sea. Destruction dotting the island, but some refusing to leave. This man says he's lived beside the water for more than 50 years and never had a problem. But most see Irma as an emergency, coming to shelters like this. Jonathan Torres is one of the more than 500 people staying in this coliseum turned emergency shelter. Everybody's extremely worried. I, for now, feel kind of safe. You know, when the when the storm starts uh, roaming, I don't know if it's going to be the same. Here in Puerto Rico, the storm is moving just to our north. As we speak, those outer bands are coming in, waves crashing onto the streets and the sidewalk. This is people are hunkered down in shelters all across the island. The worst expected to continue through midnight. Well, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the path of Irma. And uh, the sharp-eyed will notice that's not the only hurricane causing concern now. <laughs> that's right. Three active hurricanes right now. Katia, just a, a Category 1 right now. There's the mass of Irma. And then we're also watching Jose, a Category 1 right now. But that one has the potential of growing to be strong like Irma. Now, Irma's been a Category 5 for 36 hours and has the potential of continuing on that trend for the next two days. The areas are watching the northern coast of Haiti and Dominican Republic, but the direct hits will be Turks and Caicos and the Bahamas because it's about to push through some of the warmest waters in all of the tropics at 32 degrees Celsius. Wow. Okay, we'll stay on top of it and check in with you a little later. And here in B.C., we're almost one week into September and still forest fire crews aren't ready to wind down anytime soon. The B.C. Wildfire Service says shifting winds and continuing heat will make the next few days critical. 158 fires are burning across the province tonight. 
Thankfully, there are only three new fires since yesterday. More than 1,200 fires have burned since April 1st, scorching an estimated 1.15 million hectares, or more than 11,500 square kilometers. The estimated cost to date, just over $473 million. Now, another unfortunate side effect of this year's record-breaking forest fires and the Okanagan floods before them, with people either evacuated or worried about their homes, donations to interior food banks have dropped dramatically. Kelowna's Central Okanagan Food Bank has taken in half of what it usually does, so volunteers will be fanning out this week, delivering donation bags to as many homes as possible. They will return to collect the bags on Saturday the 16th. Well, we hope to collect 100,000 pounds, which is more than double what we did last year because the need is so great. So we're hoping to do a lot of, uh, of gathering of food. A well-known fitness guru starts over after a bizarre accident. I saw the whale as I was spinning in the air and saw just the spray come out of it. The fishing trip that changed his life forever and how he's dealing with his new reality next. And a terrifying trip to the restroom for a woman in a Saanich park. What she saw in there that had her screaming. A BC fitness guru who's worked with Hollywood heavyweights and who's won multiple championships is facing the biggest battle of his life tonight. Ten weeks ago, 61-year-old Mike Hamill was on a boat that collided with a whale. It left him a paraplegic. Sonia Deal tells us how it happened and how BC's man-in-motion hero is helping Mike fight back. Amazing career. Met some amazing people. Mike Hamill's been in the fitness industry for 40 years, a former BC wrestling, weightlifting and bodybuilding champion, and trained people like Clint Eastwood, Tom Berenger and Rick Hansen. But a recent trip to Haida Gawaii changed Mike's life forever. It was a great fishing trip. We were heading home, and bang, and it was an incredible wham. The boat had collided with a breaching humpback whale. And I did a flip in the air, so I went straight up. And I must have come down really hard, and I ended up as part of the console of the, of the boat. Immediately flown to Prince Rupert and then on to Vancouver General's intensive care unit, Mike spent 11 hours in surgery and another five weeks in ICU. My back was broken in three places. My spinal cord was crushed. My pelvis was completely crushed. Um, I was a mess. It's not the first time a boat and humpback have collided along BC's coast. Back in August, two passengers sent to hospital after a whale-watching boat collided with a humpback in the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Once on the verge of extinction off the BC coast, experts say that humpbacks are making a spectacular comeback. It's just a complete new ball game on both sides for whales and boats because the whales are now coming into an area that they're not familiar with. Harris says what boaters need to do is just slow down because this kind of whale can pop up anywhere. Mike is now at GF Strong, BC's largest rehab hospital for brain and spinal injuries. And what's getting him through? Support from friends like Rick Hansen. He's been a phenomenal guy in my corner. And it's kind of full circle. Here I was trying to help his cause and everything, and now he's, he's helping mine. And the future for Mike? Uh, I have no feeling. 
in my body. But I'll drive through it, and I'm strong about it, and that's the attitude I take. Sonia Diol, Global News. Amazing, and wishing you the best in your recovery, Mike. You can find out much more about Mike Hamill's amazing accomplishments on our website at globalnews.ca slash bc. A bizarre and disturbing incident in Saanich has police asking for your help in finding a suspect. Yesterday morning, a woman using an outhouse-style washroom at Elk Beaver Lake Provincial Park noticed a light coming from underneath. She saw a GoPro-style camera attached to what appeared to be a selfie stick coming from the washroom stall that backed onto hers. She screamed and her friends spotted a suspect running from the other stall. This is certainly a very rare case, uh, and I haven't personally come across a case like this. Uh, it is a very disturbing case, and we're treating this matter very serious. We have a number of resources dedicated to solving this crime, and we're also asking the public's, for the public's help as well uh, in contacting us or Crime Stoppers. The suspect is described as a Caucasian man in his late 20s to early 30s, 5 feet 10 inches tall with an athletic build and short dark brown hair. He appeared to be clean cut, but he might have a beard. He was wearing a green t-shirt, darker colored shorts and running shoes. Anyone with information should call Saanich Police or Crime Stoppers. Well, he picked the wrong time to throw a cigarette butt out the window. I could see in the grass already that it had actually started burning. How this driver reacted when he saw it happen, caught on camera. And later, special delivery straight from the sun, the massive solar flare, and what happens when it finally arrives. Caught on video, a southern Alberta man takes action and confronts an irresponsible smoker. He was stopped along the highway in a lineup of cars when he saw the passenger in front of him throw a cigarette butt into the dry grass. Global Lethbridge reporter Quinn Campbell explains why his background compelled him to act. Wayne Dick confronted a passenger of a truck stopped in a long line of vehicles waiting for an accident scene to be cleared near Welling last week. He says the man tossed a cigarette butt out the window. I went around and I picked up the cigarette butt and I could see in the grass already that it had actually started burning. It was darker. I just pinched the cigarette butt out in their window and dropped it in their truck. And I said, you know, come on, guys, grow up. And I started walking away. I figured that would be it. But they opened their door and asked me if I had a problem. And that's that's when I did have a problem. Dick is a former volunteer firefighter and has seen firsthand the devastating consequences. This time of year when things are dry, especially this year, you know, with people's carelessness, the amount of fires that that happen because people are just not thinking. Fire bans and even closures span across southern Alberta, putting law enforcement on high alert. There's a number of provincial acts uh, in regards to littering uh, that uh, uh, can be imposed upon people. The MD of Willow Creek passed a bylaw this year dealing directly with fire bans. Pitching a lit cigarette out the window could cost you anywhere from $500 to $10,000. Colehurst Fire Chief Matt Conte says the constant calls pile up on his volunteer department. It does add up, uh, especially when we get multiple fires back to back and day after day, especially during work hours. Um, 
we're finding members can't exactly leave work every day anymore to come to calls. And with no rain in the forecast, the threat of fire won't be snuffed out anytime soon. Quinn Campbell, Global News. Same is true here in B.C. and the same is true in northwest United States. The west coast there is fighting all kinds of fires. A late season explosion of wildfires stretches across several states, pushing firefighting resources to near the breaking point. Across the West, the race to escape the flames is on. A blanket of fire, a tunnel of smoke. Thousands scrambling to get out as firefighters pour in. In Utah, outside Salt Lake City, homes are up in flames. More than a thousand neighbors ordered to stay away. Roads, even a river, is closed in Oregon. 16 square miles of smoke and flames. In a region known for rain, it's fire exploding today. Time to focus on the house and get the importance out. All of the Northwest is feeling the heat. This uh, fire has been unpredictable, um, and that is our cause for concern. With 80 large wildfires torching 2,200 square miles in nine western states, billowing smoke is choking the region. From Seattle to Denver, health warnings are in place. Tonight in neighborhoods like this one, the damage is already done. But in so many communities, late September, the most dangerous part of wildfire season, is still ahead. In health news tonight, a recall of pineapple chunks that may be tainted with hepatitis A has been expanded. The fruit was sold at overweighty, price smart and save on food stores around B.C. The affected products now include Western Family Fruit Salad, 198 grams, 227 and 425 gram servings. Western Family Citrus Salad at 226 grams. Western family pineapple chunks in the 198 gram ready to go cups and fresh pineapple chunks in the 227 or 425 grams. Coming up, the hazards of living next to a giant star. It's almost like a rubber band being held and then you snap the rubber band. The massive solar flare that could disrupt the things we rely on down here on Earth. And a slippery suspect who took her crime to a whole different level. Next. A suspected shoplifter arrested and handcuffed in Texas, but what she did next actually forced the police department to change the design of its cruisers. A surprising video right after the forecast with Christy. Mm, all right. Meteorologist Christy Gordon back with us now with a look at our own forecast, and mm -hmm. we'll see a little bit of a change, Christy. Yes, it could be feeling like fall in the next couple of days. Welcome, welcome uh, weather, that's for sure. Now, it is hot and muggy out there today. Potentially, it could have been record-breaking, but with all the smoke, we're just not able to warm things up. But there was one record in Chetwin in the BC Peace River area. You hit 30 degrees today, but widespread smoke across uh, southern and central parts of the province. Really, the lower two-thirds of the province just covered in smoke. Finally, that change, though, will begin tomorrow, and we'll feel it over Friday. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It'll gradually sort of uh, trend across the uh, province. So clearing out that smoke, I think for the lower mainland region, we can expect the air quality advisory to end at least on Friday. Here's a look at it. Doesn't look like much, but what this is going to do is going to change the pattern over the next couple of days. We've had high pressure be the dominant pattern uh, basically through the entire summer, and now we're going to see the change. Now, initially, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, initially for tomorrow, and we aren't going to see much 
just a chance of showers, a risk of thunderstorms in the interior. It won't be until Friday that we'll really feel that change with more moisture. Now, there are a few showers across Vancouver Island right now, but southern tip of Vancouver Island and the lower mainland, we only have a slight chance of showers in the next 24 hours, not till tomorrow night that we're expecting those showers to really push in. And we'll see that through Friday and into our Saturday as well. In the meantime, this is your tomorrow. So still bulk of the rainfall across the north coast. Further inland, as I mentioned, for tomorrow, it's just a chance of showers, a risk of thunderstorms, not good news for the fire situation, potential for gusty winds as well. And across the south, it is going to be hot. It's going to be smoky for one more day. For you, the change will happen on Friday. South coast, mainly cloudy. The showers mostly north of Nanaimo, but we do have a slight chance of showers. Later in the day is really when that moisture pushes in, though, and we'll see that Friday and into Saturday as well. Check out some of these temperatures. Whoo, that's going to be chilly. All right, happy birthday to uh, Gladys Sweet. She turned 100 today, and our weather window for tonight, uh, what we've been enjoying uh, in terms of the the view of the picturesque uh, images is that uh, sun's rise and sunsets have been beautiful, but it sure is tough with all that smoke. Beautiful out there in Sorrento nonetheless, but mm-hmm. glad for the cool down. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, the police department in Lufkin, Texas, has made some modifications to its cruisers after its adventure with a very determined suspect. 33-year-old Tosca Sponsler was chased down for suspected shoplifting, handcuffed and loaded into a police cruiser. But with Houdini-like abilities, she was able to undo her seatbelt, slip off her handcuffs, and carefully checking where the police were, she climbed through a small opening and into the driver's seat. That's the result after the officer's attempts to stop her failed. Sponsler led them on a 23-minute chase in that stolen cruiser, reaching speeds of 160 kilometers an hour, almost hitting other police officers. They eventually forced her off the road where she was arrested and cuffed yet again. The video was released by Lufkin Police. And it ends with an officer installing a new plexiglass window and the hashtag, fool me once. Hmm. That's something they want to publicize? I guess they want people to know you can't do that anymore in love. They're ready for you. They're ready for you. All right, Squire is here now. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk some Canucks, some Whitecaps, some Lions. Canadians are playing tonight at Nat Bailey. But uh, Seahawks defensive lineman Michael Bennett speaks about his frightening run-in with the Las Vegas police. I'm just lucky to be here to be able to speak about it. Handcuffed with a gun pointed at him. Both sides speak about what happened that night. And yet another spectacular phenomenon involving the sun and its impact here on Earth. That's later. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Encouraging our sports anchor here to take deep breaths after the uh, sprint down from the sports No, 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 no. I'm good. Do you need a moment? We have time. We're a little light. No, no. I'm good. Hamstrings? How are the hamstrings? Oh, the hamstrings are great. (laughs) It's the lungs that are an issue. Breathe from the diaphragm, okay? The word is, the word is, the Canucks and Bo Horvat, I'm glad Bo Horvat is only three syllables, (laughs) are getting closer to a new contract. Vancouver has only, I'd say about 5.4 million left in the salary cap, so he is going to have to come in somewhere between 4.5 to 5 million per year, which would make him the fourth highest paid forward on this team. Who's number one? 
Yeah. The Sedids at seven million each, and Louis Erickson at six. Of course, Erickson won <clears throat> the Canucks set for life lottery last summer with that big thirty million dollar contract. Okay, teams who do well in the second half of the Major League Soccer season seem to be able to carry that momentum through the playoffs. We saw it last year with the Sounders. Now the Whitecaps, they look like they are gelling. They are healthy. They have better lung capacity than me. <laughs> and when they are fit, Carl Robinson has many weapons to work with. Freddie Montero may be the Whitecaps' runaway leading goal scorer with 11, but the Caps are so much more than just one marquee player. That's not saying Vancouver's attack is by committee, as 13 different Caps have found the back of the net this season. Rather, it's more indicative of the depth Carl Robinson has at his disposal. You know, four years ago when I took the job and I looked at the squad, you know, when, when Martin left and, you know, we used to look down the bench and think who we're going to put on now. I'm having to leave players out of the 18 that probably deserve to play. Robinson is big on having his players competing for a spot in the starting 11 at every training session dog it at practice and enjoy being a spectator instead of an active participant come match time same goes for attitude and ego if ever there was a squad where there's clearly no eye in team it's this current capside the guys all know that we have something special within this group you know i think that for us it's not about playing every week or being the star player scoring the winning goal i think everyone wants to do their role and if that's one week you're in the training squad and you're helping the starting 11 prep, and that's what we have to do. Yeah, everybody's getting opportunities, everybody's doing well, and and uh, there's definitely some road games there where we've had different lineups, and we've pulled out great results, and hopefully that continues. Vancouver has nine games left in the regular season, including the next four matches at BC Place, beginning Saturday against Real Salt Lake. The Caps currently fourth in the West, four points back of Western leading Seattle, yet they're just two points from falling out of a playoff spot. From here on out, it's going to continue to be all hands on deck. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Friday night, Travis Lule will lead the BC Lions against Montreal, and it will be at BC Place. This time, the quarterback switch is not because John Jennings is hurt. It's because John Jennings' play has been hurting. Wally Buono feels Lule is the best man to help dig the Lions out of the hole they have put themselves in. And to get out of that hole, Wally thinks offense has to lead the way. You know, Travis is executing our offense better. He himself uh, has more confidence. Uh, you know, and, and I think it all starts with the quarterback. It all starts with the offense. Uh, you know, what's very uh, significant about the CFL this year is teams that score points win games. Teams that score points usually uh, end up playing good football. And, you know, you look at the emergence of some teams. You look at the demise of some teams. And I think it starts uh, offensively. Seattle Seahawks star Michael Bennett is threatening legal action against the Las Vegas Police Department over an incident that happened a few hours after the McGregor-Mayweather fight. Police were called to a report of possible gunshots at a nightclub and casino. During their search, they took down Michael Bennett at gunpoint, handcuffed him, and then realized he was not involved. Both sides spoke today. We'll hear from both. Bennett saying that he believed his life was in danger during the takedown. But we're going to start this by showing you the smartphone video of the incident itself. It's a traumatic experience for me, uh, my family. And it sucks that 
the country that we live in now, sometimes you get profiled for the color of your skin, and um, it's a tough situation for me. Um, do I think every police officer is bad? No, I don't believe that. Do I believe there's some people out there that judge people on the color of their skin? I do believe that. I see no evidence that race played any role in this incident. In fact, as you'll notice throughout this video as I play for you, while officers were searching the casino, they were able to safely evacuate many patrons of all races. It's also important for me to note to you, uh, both of the officers involved in this incident in question are of Hispanic origin. I'm just lucky to be here to be able to speak about it. At any moment, I could have made the wrong decision and whether move, it felt like I was resistant or doing something wrong, and you guys will be wearing, the Seahawks will be wearing the patch with number 72 on it. U.S. Open number one, Karolina Pliskova, undone by Coco Vandeweghe, whose uncle Kiki used to play in the NBA, whose mother was a swimmer in the 1976 Olympics, whose grandfather was an NBA player, whose grandmother was a Miss America. This is one accomplished family, and she is into the Final Four. All the Final Four on the women's side are from the United States. That hasn't happened since the early 80s. On the men's side, Nadal moved on to the semis. If Federer wins tonight, they'll play each other, not in the final, unfortunately, but in the semis. Why do I remember Kiki Vandeweghe had a great tan? Did he play, did he play for Phoenix Suns? It's very odd that you remember the hell. Remember that, Jay? Players are know. tanned or not tanned, but if you play for the Phoenix remember. Suns, it makes perfect sense. I'm going to look it up. All Kiki right. Vandeweghe. Look up Might Kiki. have been in my era. I bet you his tan <laughs> is not better than Dan Marino's. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Nobody's tan is better than Dan Marino's. Yeah, Marino. Okay, speaking of Jay, who's standing right over there, here's a preview of Global News at 11. Thank you, Chris. We have a crew at the scene of that accident near Squamish at the Chief. We're hearing now that the person has been rescued, but there's no word on his or her condition. We'll have the latest details tonight. And we'll have more reaction to the government putting the brakes on the Massey Tunnel replacement project, ordering a new technical review. What will this mean for the area and what are some of the alternatives? We'll have those stories and much more coming up tonight at 11. All right. Thanks very much, Jay. Uh, speaking of tans and the sun, the sun making lots of headlines this summer. The show it put on today that could mess with this. Say it ain't so. <laughs> Coming up on ET Canada, we're at the Venice Film Festival with Matt Damon and Julianne Moore. Plus, meet the entire cast of Dancing with the Stars and get ready for the scariest clown ever and the brave cast of kids from It. That is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, Cheryl, thanks very much. Well, it happened early this morning, and it could cause some big problems when it arrives in the coming days. The sun released its most powerful solar flare in more than 10 years. Linda Aylesworth tells us what could be affected. Solar flares happen all the time, but the two that erupted from the surface of the sun in the wee hours of the morning have got astronomers buzzing. These ones over here, this is about 7 by 9 uh, Earth diameters across. They are what's known as X-Class, the biggest of them all. The second one that came out uh, was a 9.3, I believe, uh, which is extremely large. It's the largest that we've had in a multitude of years at this point. Solar flares happen when magnetic arcs of superheated plasma form and break. And when that arc breaks, it snaps the material that was underneath it and ejects it off into space. We are constantly being barraged by tiny particles of cosmic radiation. You can see them streaking through this cloud chamber. But an X-class solar flare can greatly increase the plasma reaching Earth, if, that is, it's headed our way. So right now we're observing it and we're watching the light as it comes towards us to see what kind of material might be heading our way. 
The plasma and radiation storm would take between one to four days to reach Earth. Once here, it could cause a massive influx of energy and wreak havoc on electronic systems. So satellites often will power down to protect their systems, uh, or they'll, they'll go into a, a lesser energy state. Often there's a lot of issues with cell frequencies and, and getting signals uh, will also be a major issue. On the upside, such issues would most likely be temporary. And there's the solar flare version of a rainbow to look forward to, the northern lights. It can be beautiful because it actually causes the auroras to come further south, and that's what happens when the solar wind interacts with our atmosphere uh, and the magnetic field around the Earth. Which means people in southern BC could be treated to a rare light show, if only the wildfire smoke would clear. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.